There are so many reasons why I am grateful for the gift of Spring Valley Baptist Church in my life and in my family's life. As I said in the first service, chief among them is the musical talents and gifts that God has brought here and all the wonderful people that use those gifts to praise his name, to lead us in worship. And I'm just so thankful to God. On behalf of all the people who are musically challenged like myself, that cannot lead well in music, thank you so much for what you do and using your gifts and talents. Rick and the others, thank you for leading us in worship so wonderfully as always. If you have a copy of God's Word this morning, we'll be looking at Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, and we'll start reading with verse 30 there, a story that may be familiar to some of you, but hopefully the familiarity of the story will not uh, lose its power in our lives. I want to also say a word of appreciation to our pastor for allowing me to be in the pulpit this morning to share God's word with you. I tell you, we are blessed as a congregation to have a pastor who loves the Lord, who loves the Lord in our church, in the community, but also in his family. And last night to see the wedding that took place on the stage and to see how Christ was honored in that marriage, how Christ is honored in their family. It's a real testimony of their faith. And I'm grateful for our ministry staff and the way they live out Christ among us. We are blessed, and I hope that you're praying for your pastor, praying for your church staff, and all the ministries that they lead, uh, that we would be the church that God has created us to be under their leadership. Mark chapter 6, beginning with verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. And because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves to, in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. May God add the blessing of his reading of his word today. Life is full of defining moments. Those times, those events, those encounters 
that connect us with a truth. A truth that changes us. And it seems like from that moment forward, our life takes a different direction. You know, as I've looked back over my life thus far, I see very, very clearly how God has used defining moments in my life to intersect my life with his truth, to show me more of who he is, and specifically to show me what it means to be a disciple, a follower of him and his son, Jesus. One of the most significant defining moments of my life happened 17 years ago tomorrow, August the 5th. I found myself on a plane, boarding that plane with some college students from our state, We were meeting with a a church group from our state and we were on our way across the seas on my first overseas mission trip to Kenya in Africa. Now that was a defining moment for me because as we met that church group, I met a young woman that was in that church group. Her name was Maria. And that was a defining moment because one year... And four days later, I would stand with her looking at me in front of a lot of other people and I would hear her say, I do. In my mind, I was thinking, you do? (laughs) But she did. And God used that trip, that defining moment to bless my life with a godly wife and a partner in life and in ministry. But you know, that trip was a defining moment for me also because of what God taught me in that experience. What he taught me about himself and what he taught me about what it means to be a follower of his. Our objective during that time together was to go out and to meet people of the Turkana tribe and Maasai tribes there in Kenya. We were there to go and to share our story, our testimony, and then to hopefully share the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And that first day that we were there, we were meeting together and we were meeting with some of our translators that would help us in translating into their language. As we showed up, it just so happened that we were one translator too few. And so the leader of that project said, Maria, you take your group, Ken, you take your group, and you combine, and you'll go out together. It just so happens that the Lord led us. And the very first thing that we were able to do, Maria and I, in ministry and in service to our king together, was to go in to meet a young Turkana woman that was coming in from the fields. And through the translator, we were able to to share with her our stories, our testimonies. We shared with her the the good news of the gospel, that God loved her, that God loved her so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, into this world to die for her sins so that her sins could be forgiven and that she could have the opportunity to connect with God for all of eternity by trusting in his son, Jesus. And then, as simply and as clearly as we could, Through that translator, we asked her if she would like to to pray to have her sins forgiven and to call out to Jesus and to ask him to be her savior and to accept his gift of eternal life. 
Well, I don't know exactly what we were expecting to happen in that moment. But when we did that, she looked back at the translator, and in her language, she said, yes, I would like to accept that truth. Maria and I looked at each other, and we kind of wondered, is she just doing this because we're from America and she's being hospitable to us? Is she just doing this to be kind to us? Does she really understand what she's saying as she accepts Christ as her Savior? And so through the translator, once again, we ask that question. After hearing her talk in her native language, we listened to our translator as he told her, told us her response. She said, yes. You see, I understood from a very early age, as I looked up into the stars, as I looked around me, that there was one true God, a creator God that created all of this. And I've been praying and praying to the stars, praying for his answers, his truth. And I believe that today, because the one true God has sent you from all the way across the world to come and to meet me here, to share with me this story of truth, I believe that this is God's truth for me. And yes, I accept Jesus as my Savior. I'm going to tell you, that was a defining moment for us as we prayed with that young woman to receive Christ. It was a defining moment for me because I understood and recognized in a very clear way that we serve a big and an awesome God. We serve a God who would work to bring two people together that he was going to bring together for a lifetime of marriage. He would bring them together in Africa. And the first opportunity that they would have to serve together would be to share the simple but true message of Jesus Christ. And he would intersect our lives with the life of another who was searching for his truth and open and ready to receive the gospel. We serve a big God. But that was a defining moment also for me because it helped me to understand my role as a disciple. My role is to follow him, to follow his lead, to go where he wants me to go, to do those things that he's prompting me to do. And as I do that, I get to be a part of him performing a miracle in the lives of other people, and especially in the lives of that Turkana woman. You know, the early disciples, as they walked with Jesus, as they lived with Jesus, as they heard from him, as he taught, as they saw him, as he healed people, They must have had a lot of defining moments in those years with him. But the story that we read earlier from Mark chapter 6 may have been one of the most significant life-defining moments for them. You see, of all the miracle stories that are told about Jesus in the Gospels, this is the only miracle story that is included in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four of those writers, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, were led to include this story. It was a story that could not be excluded in telling the story of Jesus and telling how his disciples began to understand what it meant to follow him. It was a game changer for them and for all of Christianity. 
Yes, it was a story that obviously showed them the power of God, how miraculous God is in his power as he provides for the feeding of a multitude of people with just a very little bit of food. But yet it is also a story that shows what happens when his followers trust him, his disciples follow his lead, and the miracles that can happen in and through them through the power of God. So this morning, I want us to reconnect with that defining moment, to learn once again from this story and specifically look at what it means and what it says about being a disciple, a follower of Jesus, and to see what can happen as we follow him, how the power of God can be unleashed in our lives to see miraculous things happen all around us. So let's begin and look at that that story. First of all, I want you to see in this passage of scripture that being a disciple of Jesus involves seeing needs the way he sees them. Seeing needs the way that he sees them. I want to set the scene for you in this passage. Jesus has just sent out his 12 closest disciples, his apostles. He sent them out two by two. It was their first journey without him to go and to preach the good news, to preach repentance, and to to perform acts of love and healing among the people. Their mission experience was successful, and they were coming back and reporting to Jesus all that they had seen, all they had experienced. But what Jesus saw was that those disciples were tired. They were worn out. In fact, they were very, very hungry. They didn't even have a chance to eat. They were so consumed with ministry. But something else was taking place right before this encounter. According to the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus had received some very, very sad news. He had just been told that his cousin and his forerunner in the ministry, John the Baptist, had been beheaded, had died. And obviously, Jesus and the disciples were dealing with the grief of that news, the challenge that was to their heart. And so Jesus says to his disciples, We need to go away by ourselves and get some rest. He instructs them to get into a a boat, probably a very small boat, and to cross the lake, looking for a time of refreshing, a time of peace and renewal. But as they're making their way across that lake in that boat, the other people from the towns are kind of running They're running around that small lake as they see the boat making its way to landing. And they're coming from the towns and they're going to meet Jesus and the disciples where that boat is going to land. And so when Jesus and his disciples land there on the shore, what he sees is a large crowd of people. You know what? We could not blame Jesus and his disciples. If they looked at that crowd of people and said, why in the world did you come all the way over here when you knew we wanted to get away with some peace and rest? We would not have necessarily blamed him for being frustrated or or, or really scolding some of the people. But I want you to see the heart of God displayed in Jesus. Look at verse 34. A great truth that we and the rest of the world need to hear. A truth that the disciples in that defining moment saw and observed. 
It says when he saw that crowd, Jesus had compassion on them. James 5 verse 11 says, The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. The scriptures tell us the glorious good news that when Jesus saw that crowd, he didn't see something that was frustrating to him. He didn't see them with the eyes of disgust or disdain. What he saw them with was the eyes of compassion. He saw their hurt. He saw their brokenness. He saw that they were starving. They were hungry for truth. They wanted to know more about God. They wanted to know more about the kingdom of God. They wanted to know more about their purpose and meaning. And Jesus looked at them with compassion. And he began to teach them. You know, that's good news for all of us today. Because if you're in this room and you're going through a period of time when you're broken, you're hurting, you're searching for truth, understand that the heart of God is not one of disdain and disgust. The heart of God is one of compassion for you. He feels that hurt. He understands that pain. And he wants to respond and heal. And for those people that day, they were hungry for the truth of God. They were starving for purpose. And Jesus put aside his agenda and began to teach them many things. You know, when we see the crowds of people in our neighborhood, if you're a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus in this place, when you look out across your neighborhood, when you look across your workplace, when you look in your schools, even when you look in your family, when you see that crowd of people, what do you see? Do you see people that are broken, that are hurting, that are in need of the compassion of the living God? You know, our pastor in our most recent church newsletter wrote a wonderful article. And in that article, he he talked about the typical community of 100 neighbors and what it looks like. If you weren't able to read that, I want to remind you of it here. Out of that 100 neighbors, the article said, seven struggle with depression. Seven abuse or are addicted to drugs or alcohol. Fourteen feel crippled or trapped by fear and anxiety. Eight are struggling with the loss of a job. Three are grieving the death of a loved one. And 60 do not profess to be born again through Christ. As we hear that, as we look around at our, our, our world today, what, what does that do to us? Do we look at them with the compassion of Christ? Do we hurt so much that we can't sit still that we must respond and do something like Jesus did? Wow, we need to pray. Jesus, fill us with your compassion. Fill us with your love. Give us your eyes to see. Help us to extend your compassion to other people. You know, in our church, you've probably heard a lot about an evangelistic campaign that's going to be happening this fall in our country. It's called My Hope America. It might be Billy Graham's last crusade with us here in these states. But it won't be a typical crusade in Billy Graham's style. There won't be a stadium. There won't be a coliseum. Instead, we are invited. We're given the opportunity to be like the disciple Matthew, to open up our home, to invite people who might be broken or hurting or struggling or searching for truth to come into our home, to eat with us, 
Maybe to eat with some of the other believers from our church. But then to watch a program that Billy Graham and others have put together with his preaching and testimonies of Christians and the clear presentation of the gospel. What a powerful opportunity for us to join in that effort. In our church, our ministry staff is is really praying and challenging us in our church to have 100 Matthew homes. Think about that. If we had 100 Matthew homes, and let's just say six people came that maybe are disconnected from the Lord or maybe lost, that would be 600 people in that one time, that one effort to be able to hear the gospel and to be able to experience the good news of Christ. What an incredible opportunity. I hope you're praying through in your Sunday school classes or in your homes, praying about maybe doing that, sponsoring that one of those Matthew homes. But you know what? I don't believe that we as a church are going to be able to do this if we do not have the compassion of Christ for the people around us. If we do not care about their brokenness, if we do not see their need and their hurt, if we do not understand the compassion of Christ for people, we'll probably never be motivated to reach out to them. We'll never be motivated to come to ask them to be a part of that experience. It was a defining moment for those disciples because as they watched Jesus, they saw his heart of compassion and they knew as followers they needed to be filled that same way with the hurt and the brokenness of the people around them with the compassion of Christ. The second thing this story reminds us about in that defining moment, Jesus showed the disciples that being a disciple of Jesus involves following his instruction to get involved. Time had passed. It was getting late in the day. Jesus had been teaching, and the disciples did recognize a need. They got it right. These people are hungry. We're in a remote place. We need to do something to help satisfy their physical hunger. But did you see their solution to that need? They turned to their master, their leader, and they told him what to do. They said, you send them away. Send them away. Let them find something to eat on their own. You know, it's never a good idea to tell your leader what to do. It's never a good idea for a disciple of Jesus to tell Jesus what to do. Instead, it's important that we hear from his instruction. And so Jesus does give them some instruction. And he looks at him and he says, you give them something to eat. Jesus said, I want you to get involved in this process. I want you to do what you can. Go give them something to eat. But like, probably like many of us, they looked around at their resources and went, wow, Jesus, we got nothing. It would take eight months of a man's wages to feed this crowd. Is that good stewardship to use all of those resources to feed this crowd? And then Jesus looks at them and says, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. This is a defining moment for the disciples. This is a defining moment for us. Instead of looking at what we do not have, instead of seeing how our human resources are limited, we need to go and to see what we do have. We need to Go and participate with God by recognizing, hey, we can bring this. 
The disciples recognized and understood in that encounter that Jesus was desiring for them to be involved in that miracle story. He called them and he calls us to go and to see what we have to participate in his healing of grace and mercy. Recently in our church, we've been heightened in our awareness of the needs of hunger in our world. Over 400 million children living in hunger in our world today. In the world, a child dies every 15 seconds because of malnutrition. It's a huge issue. It's something that should move us as people of God to be concerned, to do something about it. But you know, if we look at that huge issue of world hunger and all those millions of people, and we think to ourselves, boy, I don't have much to bring to the table. I can't do much, so I'm just not going to do anything. We've missed the boat. Instead, we've got to hear the voice of Jesus say, go and see what you have. And so with campaigns like Stop Hunger Now, maybe we have some resources that we can give to that effort to buy one of those meals that would feed someone for a day. Or maybe it's to come on that Saturday and to pack those meals and put it together so that we can provide physical nutrition for someone in this world today. We can do something. Jesus says, go and see what you have and do it. But what about the spiritual hunger and the needs of our world? What about those in our neighborhoods, in our community, who are hurting, living apart from the Lord, confused, struggling? I don't know about you, but as I look out across my neighborhood, as I'm interacting in people here, with people here in the northeast part of Columbia, sometimes my heart is just broken over what they're living with and what they're living through. And sometimes I get a little overwhelmed by all of these needs. How in the world can I make a difference in all of these needs that are out there? But you know what? God wants us to go and see what we have to provide. What we can do. You know, with this My Hope America campaign, can we we walk, are we able to walk? And are we able to pray? If we are able to walk and to pray, then maybe God is calling us to walk our neighborhood. Or maybe walk around our business to pray for spiritual awakening, to pray for divine appointments, to pray that God would sensitize our hearts to the needs of those in our community, those that he's drawing, and to draw our hearts to them. Maybe we just need to answer his call to pray for our community. Or maybe it's to to take that Matthew list and to begin to write down the names of people that we know, that we want to see come to know the Lord, that we're going to pray for them every day over these next few weeks. Maybe it's to develop a plan to get to know our neighbors better, our coworkers better, invite them over to our home for a meal. Go do something with them. Have interaction that might lead to deeper conversations. Or maybe it might be considering being a Matthew home or working with someone in the Sunday school or other parts of our church to establish a place where people can come and hear the good news of Jesus. What can we do? Jesus says, go and see. Third thing this defining moment says to those disciples and to us is that being a disciple of Jesus involves trusting in his sufficiency. 
Jesus says, go and see what you got. Well, here's what they got. Five loaves, two fish. From a human perspective, that's not sufficient. It's not going to be enough to feed 5,000 men plus the women plus the children. But you know what? Even the smallest of gifts that we place in the hands of Jesus is more than sufficient. It's more than sufficient through his power. This, this story tells us, and the disciples observed it, how Jesus took that small gift from that little boy, according to John, a young lad with his lunch, took that little gift, he gave thanks, he blessed it, and he gave out the food, and all the people ate and were satisfied, and they had leftovers. Jesus was more than capable of taking that small gift and using it for his glory. That was a defining moment for those disciples. I wonder if they reflected back on that after Jesus was resurrected and they were there in the power of the Holy Spirit and they were standing before kings. They were standing before rulers to talk about Jesus. How, how could God use them, this one individual at that moment? But they gave him what they had, a testimony of Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, the world has been changed and never been the same because God in his power used their supposed inadequacy with his sufficiency. How about us? What do we do with those small gifts? Recently, my family had the privilege of going on a mission trip to Russia. We went with 10 college students from our state. The youngest of those, a young lady that had just finished her freshman year in college, was going on her first trip outside the U.S., her first mission trip. It was actually her first time being on a plane. You talk about jumping into the deep end. That's the deep end to get on a plane to go to Russia. She was so nervous and anxious. We didn't have a set plan of what we were going to be doing on that mission trip. You know, sometimes you go and you're asked to build something for someone or you're asked to go and lead a children's camp. In this particular mission experience, we were asked to go and to pray for divine appointments, to intersect with and connect with college students there in Russia, and to begin to talk to them, get to know them, and then share the good news of Jesus with them in our story. You know, out of all of our group, if you judged it from a human perspective, she would have probably been the most inadequate, insufficient for that mission. But don't you know, that God in his power chose that young lady on the very first day we were there in the subways there in Russia. She was trying to manage an ATM and talking to one of our, our, our team members and a young lady from Russia, a young Russian law student, came up to her and said, you're speaking English, where are you from? And from that statement began a conversation that lasted for over 20 minutes. And I marveled as I watched and saw those two interacting. And I saw how Cassie took out from her backpack a Bible that she had brought with her and she had written in the front of it a message to somebody to give to. She had highlighted verses in that Bible and she said, I have something that is so important to me, the most important book in my life. I want you to have this as a gift from me. And I'm not kidding. This Russian law student took that Bible and looked at it with wonder and started tearing up. Cassie went on to share with her the story of the gospel through a track that we had. 
And from that day forward, almost every day, we had an encounter with that young lady named Tanya. My wife shared with her her story and her testimony. Other people in our group shared. She was being drawn to, to the Lord throughout that week. And then even as we left, she and Cassie are now connecting through Facebook and, 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 and uh, a Skype. And they're having an ongoing conversation about the good news of Jesus. And Tanya has said this. She said, I know that it was my destiny to meet you, Cassie. I am completely drawn to the message of truth that you have shared with me. We believe that she is very much in a journey that one day she's going to give her life to Jesus and have eternal life through him. You know, as we look at it from a human perspective, what we have may be insufficient, may not be adequate, Even the smallest of things, if we give it to God with sincerity, if we do it with sincerity before the Lord, his promise is that he is adequate, he is sufficient, and he will take that and use it in miraculous ways. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Do you believe that today? The feeding of the 5,000 was a defining moment for those early disciples. There's no question about it. It was a defining moment because they saw the glory of God, the power of God. But it was a defining moment for them because they realized what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus, to see the needs of the world as he sees them, to follow his lead, to get involved in being a solution, and then to ultimately trusting Christ in his sufficiency. You know, if we do those same things, it can be a defining moment for us too. And I really believe, as we move toward the fall, as we move toward My Hope America, I believe that if we live this story, if we accept this truth and, and claim this as a defining moment for us, as we follow the Lord's lead, he will use us to be a defining moment for somebody else in this community. He will use our words, our love, our outreach to invite someone to a life change through the good news and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That defining moment, their defining moment, our defining moment can become somebody else's defining moment. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for the power of your word for the power of your story. God, thank you for giving us defining moments. And Lord, I pray in this room right now, there may be someone who has had their life intersected with your truth, the truth of the good news of Jesus. And you've been calling them. God, maybe today is their day to come forward and to fully embrace the love, the forgiveness, and the hope of the gospel through Christ. Would you guide them and lead them to do just that? Or for those who have embraced you through the the gift of Jesus, who have become your disciple, Lord, I pray that you would help all of us to see the opportunities for defining moments as we fully trust in you. Would you guide us and lead us to respond as you're leading? In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.